0: Welcome to Lakeland Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. So good, so good. Welcome to everyone. I am thrilled that you're with us today. Welcome to everyone online as well as everyone in VR. Uh, This is going to be a good morning. Um, I pray that... um, that the faith experiment has been a good journey for you so far in stretching your faith and growing your faith. And today, once again, we're, we're going another step. We're going to be adding something else in, in terms of what we see in Scripture that grows faith, propels faith forward. And today we're going to be talking about this thing called Obedience. And um, a lot of times we're like, yeah, I want my faith to grow. But a lot of times maybe you don't connect the dots between how obedience to God's word and how that's actually connected with faith. But here's what I've, I've found to be true is that when my, when my faith is, uh, or, or when, when my walk with God now, is hitting on all cylinders. And he and I are good. Like, we're, I'm walking in obedience. Here's what I find. My relationships start hitting on all cylinders. My leadership starts hitting on all cylinders. My decision-making and strategizing starts hitting on all cylinders. Like, all these things start lining up because the first, first thing, which is obedience happens first. And then it grows the faith. And, and it's just like, and everything starts lining up so well. I, I picture it a little bit like this. My my son this week, he, he stayed home on Monday because he was hacking. So he was my eight-year-old boy. And he's hacking up a lung. And that morning, it was kind of like one of those mornings where you wake up and you're like, I'm going to make a decision once I hear you that morning. And then the kids just they step into like Oscar mode, you know, they're like they're trying to win a, a Grammy or something in, in their acting at that moment. And he does, he's like, he comes down, downstairs and he's like, Ugh! I mean, it sounds like he's ready to lose a lung, you know? And uh, and so I'm like, buddy, I do think you need to stay home. And so his face kind of perks up. And then it's almost like he wants to now like, all right, that's something really sweet. So now he wants to do something kind. So he starts clearing the table, uh, you know, after breakfast. And I go, bud, that's so nice of you. Like, way to go. And it's like. he goes okay so then he goes and gets a rag and he wipes down the table and I was like wow buddy that's awesome way to do way to go and so he's he has a really creepy smiley face, just FYI. It's just like, ah. And, and then he goes over to the island and he starts wiping down the kitchen island. I was like, wow, bud, that's amazing. And then he goes and he gets like the cordless, you know, vacuum. And he's like vacuuming right through the kitchen. Now at this point, he's like dancing. He's like, aha. And I'm like, wow, bud, that's doing no good. You know, but no, but I'm, I'm still encouraging him. And what was really funny is like one, one good thing all of a sudden, I give him a word of encouragement, and he does the next good thing. Word of encouragement, next good thing. Word of encouragement, next good, next good thing. And and it's almost like it just kind of the snowball. And and here's the deal: is a lot of times obedience and faith works the same way. You you take that first step of obedience, and all of a sudden you'll find that your faith is growing. And then you'll go, okay, I can tackle maybe the next thing that might seem like even a bigger step for me to take a step of obedience here. But when you do it, all of a sudden you're going to find your faith grows. And it just kind of keeps on in that pattern. I think all of us want to grow our faith and we want to gain traction. And I really believe this thing called obedience is a place where you're going to find traction coming to your faith and growth coming to your faith. And today all I want to do is I want to look at one guy in Scripture who he actually overcomes, I think it's a handful of hurdles that often get in the way of obedience. And the handful of hurdles that he faces I really think are kind of the categories of a lot of the same a handful of hurdles that you and I still face today that get in the way of us taking a step of obedience. Now before you go, okay, well this is a guy out of scripture. So he's like this amazing godly guy. First thing you need to know is this guy his faith like if he had it at all was like it was like on this level of zero. That that's where this guy starts. He he kind of has maybe a vague idea of who God is, and the God of his ancestors, and walking with him, but it is so distant from him. So if you're like, I don't know, I I, I don't, I don't even know what my first step is. You you can honestly relate to this guy because he's starting from ground zero. He's got nothing, and yet he's going to step into places of incredible faith, great faith, and it's going to grow really fast. And it all is uh, hanging on this linchpin of this thing called obedience. And so the guy we're looking at is in the book of Judges. His name is Gideon. If you've never read the book of Judges, there's basically the same story on repeat, okay? And here's the story. It's wash, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. Same story. basically goes like this. And the people of Israel, they came to a place where they would do whatever was right in their own eyes. As in doing so, they would start worshiping other idols and gods. God would take his hand of protection off of them, turn them kind of over to the oppression of the neighboring nations. Eventually, the people would cry out to God and they'd say, oh man, we've lost your hand of protection. They would cry out to God and God would raise up a judge. Now, the judge was really a, a leader or a redeemer on behalf of their nation, who would lead them back to God, back to living in obedience to him, and freedom that God would kind of have over them while they were walking in obedience to him. And so this is one of the cycles that they're in the middle of. The Israelites have wandered away from God. They're worshiping other gods, and as a result, God's hand of protection is off of them. The Midianites have conquered them, and now the Israelites are crying out to God, God, help us. And so God is going to raise up a guy by the name of Gideon, who once again has like no baseline of who really the god of the israelites is. He's not really a strong godly leader and yet God is going to call him to do something great here. And so we're going to pick it up in judges chapter 6 verse 12 and here's the angel of the lord appears to Gideon and uh Says to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, I love that statement for so many reasons. First off, once again, I said, this is a guy who hasn't been walking with God, and yet it says the Lord is with you, which is a good reminder uh, for each and every one of us that if you feel like, man, I haven't been with him, guess what, he's still been with you. He's never left you, even if you've walked away from him. And then the Lord is gonna declare identity and purpose over Gideon. He's gonna say, Mighty warrior, which is really funny because where we pick up this story, Gideon is actually threshing wheat. He's a farmer. He he's done nothing in his life to lead an army, to be called a mighty man at all, or a warrior at all. Like he, he hasn't done anything in that realm, and yet God, I found this to be true as well, is that God often doesn't uh declare Just one little step of of what will get you going in the right direction. He often declares your destiny and the finished product over you from day one. He, He sees the finished product over you and he calls it out over you. It's why some of you might have had something where you feel like the Lord has impressed something on your heart and it just seems bigger than you. That's awesome. If it's bigger than you, then it's great because then it's God-sized, it's not you-sized. In fact, you don't want a destiny over your life that you can picture. If you can picture it, you're dreaming too small. You want the dream and the destiny that is God-sized to be spoken over you, but it is one of those things that, that Gideon can't even see it. It makes no sense to him in this moment. Gideon can't see what God sees, but God's going to aim and call him out all the way to what he sees uh, over him. And so then Gideon immediately is going to just kind of call out and he say, hey, I want to raise a red flag as to the destiny and the identity that you've just called out over me. Check it out in Judges chapter 6 verse 15. He says, pardon me, Lord. (laughs) Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I'm the least in my family. Now, what he's doing is he's just simply calling out the obvious, stating the obvious. He's like, everyone knows this. My clan, were the weakest. I, out of my family, I'm the runt. Like, I, I'm the nobody. And he's, he's just stating how everyone would see him and kind of culturally. And the Lord, I love this. The Lord doesn't answer his question. The Lord doesn't even address his concern. The Lord actually once again goes back and simply declares purpose over an identity over Gideon. Notice how the Lord re- replies to him. The next verse, the Lord answer him, answered him, "I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive." Basically, doesn't say I. He doesn't even acknowledge Gideon's red flags or issues. He's just like, "Hey, let me just remind you of your destiny and of your purpose." If I could just uh, point out what I think is the first and probably most important hurdle that every single one of us is going to have to face in our lives, and you're going to have to obey in spite of it, is this, it's obedience to God over your own perceived identity. Over perceived identity. For Gideon, his perceived identity is I'm the weakest, I'm of the least important clan, meaning I'm insignificant, and you're calling out and describing something that sounds like a, a significant person should do that and that's just not me. So he has to first get over this perceived identity that's getting in the way of him even taking a first step toward obedience. And if you want to grow your faith, you're going to have to learn to obey in spite of the way that you perceive yourself or what has been spoken over you. Let me just give you an example in my life. Um, My whole life, I've really struggled with English and reading and writing and literature and spelling and things like that. And so even when my kids come home and they struggle in those same things, I was like, I get you. Like we're on the same page. I was always really good at math and science. Like I, I clept out of all that stuff in college, but English, reading, literature, all spelling, oh my word. Bad, bad, bad. In fact, so bad, just to give you an idea of how bad it was. My senior year of college, I'm turning in my very last final senior project to, like, you know, the professor oversees my whole department. It's the most important project I've pulled off of all my college career, right? It's like this 50 to 75-page paper. I turned it into him, and I'm, like, graduating later that week, and my professor, he, uh, he calls me to his office. He says, would you meet me in my office? So I go to his office, and he goes, Josh... I got your final paper here. And he slides it across the table. And on my final project of my senior year of college, last thing I'm going to do for all of college, it's a big old F on it. And I was like, oh. he goes, Josh, it's not that the content's bad. Your content's great. He goes, you are a bad writer. <laughs> He's like, I just hate to fail you on your last final project he's like maybe you could take it back and just rework it. he's like normally i would just whatever it is it is what it is I never change it but I don't want you to fail and so I I took it back I rewrote it I worked on it and I got a d-minus <laughs> that's right your senior pastor finished college final project d-minus I'm of high quality. And, and so um, <laughs> that, that's like what I've always just dealt with. So I'm like, I'm just a bad writer. So you can imagine a little bit of how I felt a couple years ago when I felt like the Lord said, Josh, I want you to write a book. And I was like, God, I don't know if you got the memo. <laughs> but my professor declared it over me. Everyone has spoken it over me. And I know this to be true over me. I am a bad writer. <laughs> and so... <laughs> So I really had to wrestle with that before I could even tackle the idea of going out. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I wrote the God experiment. And this past year, I wrote the faith experiment. We're doing it together. And I know some of the ladies who have edited my books uh, from the church here, they're pro- they, who knows, they might say, Josh, you're still a bad writer. They just make me sound good. Uh, but, but here's what I know is like t- that whole deal of tackling that and stepping into that, um, was really a big hurdle for me to overcome because I've had this thing spoken over me. And, and I've had actually people attack me going, Josh, why'd you write those books? You must've been doing it for the money or you must've been doing it for branding or you must've been doing it for marketing or something like that. And I'm like, no, no, no. If you only knew. I only did this because of out of obedience and nothing to do with any of those other things because it was not natural for me. It was so outside my, my natural desires and yet it was, it was obedience and that's it. That's it alone. I did did it for him. And and here's what's crazy even about it. I think about what I do in my life. I, I teach the Bible, an ancient book of literature. It's the very thing that everyone declared over me going, Josh, you stink at reading and literature and understanding that. And it's what I'm called to do. And it's, by the way, the thing that I get the greatest joy in life doing. And and I'm telling you that there will be a time probably in every single one of our lives when the Lord is going to call you to do something that goes smack dab in the face of what people, culture, family, or somebody literally spoke over you. And you're going to have to say, I choose to obey in spite of everything that I feel like is hardwired into me that is in opposition to this kingdom destiny. And you just have to go, I'm going to step into it. I love it because Gideon, back to him, he's still looking for answers. And by the way, he's not going to get the answers that he's looking for. God doesn't always answer our questions. But here's what I found God often does do. And it trumps actually even having an answer. Is that he just lets us know that we're on the right path. And this is how he does it for Gideon. In verse 17, Gideon basically replies, he goes, if I've found favor in your eyes, give me a sign. Like if you're not gonna answer my question, just give me a sign that it's really you who's talking to me. And so what Gideon's gonna do is he's actually gonna bake some bread, he's gonna uh, get some meat and get some broth, and then God is gonna show him a sign to just let him know I'm with you. And here's how it plays out, verse 20. The angel of the Lord, or God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place it on the rock, pour out the broth, and Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And Gideon said, okay, I'm sold. <laughs> He's like, Okay. I believe that you're legitimate and you're calling me to this and then you called me mighty warrior, although I was a farmer. I was just over there threshing wheat. But he's like, all right, I'll take that first step of obedience. And in fact, that first step of obedience is going to come to the forefront of his life that night. That night, God's going to say, okay, let's see. Are you going to take your first step of obedience? Because this is what he's going to call him to do. Judges chapter uh, six, verse 25, that same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd. That's right. Go steal from your daddy. (laughs) The one that's seven years old. Yeah, that prime bull. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of the height. Using the wood out of the Asherah pole that you just cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So now here's why this is so... uh, profound and such a big deal is it's not that God is just asking him all right offer a sacrifice to me he's basically saying hey I want you to go and take your dad's stuff that he would have used to sacrifice to another idol or to another God and I want you to sacrifice it to me and I want you to destroy your father's altar tear down the Asherah pole which was something that they worship, and actually use that pole as the wood to consume the the burnt offering that's going to be offered to me Like, really what's being tested here is I want to see, are you going to honor and obey your father's standards and cultural rules right now or your heavenly father's standard? Who are you going to obey? And it's the second hurdle that almost all of us are going to have to face and overcome at some point is, am I going to be obedient to God over even my family and or cultural standards? And that's what he's facing He's literally gonna go in in the face of his father's standards and all of his community's standards. I talked about this in the faith experiment in week one, how that was true even in our lives uh, in terms of like having nine kids. Like that was against family norms or cultural norms. I, I could send out a survey to basically every person in my family and probably every person in this entire church and say, hey, what is, do you think is the standard or common or most logical number of children to have and no one would ever write nine? No one's gonna write nine on that survey. Ever. And yet that for us was actually a journey of obedience that often felt very um, in the face of what even might seem logical for my family. And to people here in culture. And yet I had to stare that down and say, Right, if the Lord's called me to it, I'm going to be obedient to him in spite of how I look in front of all of those other people. And, and even their responses, which, by the way, sometimes the responses were really not kind. So Gideon wakes up the next morning and everyone actually wants to kill him because he tore down all these things that were actually, it wasn't just his dad's altar, everyone used it. So everyone in the community wants to kill him. His dad luckily speaks up for him and says, listen, if Baal is God, let Baal deal with him and let Baal take his own vengeance. And so everyone kind of like calms down and they actually start seeing Gideon through the lens of like, all right, maybe this guy's got some guts. Maybe this guy could be a leader. This guy is calling us to something and so uh, we check out in the next verses, verse 34, what Gideon's actually going to call people t- to. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew the trumpet summoning the. Uh, that name, Abizurites, uh, to follow him. He sent messengers throughout every all these areas, Manasseh, uh, calling them to arms in all these different places, Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, those are all the clans. And they basically call them to arms, call them to rally, to go to war against the Midianites. Now I love this because Gideon doesn't have it all together, he's still unsure, but he's willing to take that next step and say, all right, let's gather an army. And then he's still going to say, okay, God, don't be mad at me. But I still want to just know, are you really with me? And are you really calling, this, uh, calling me to this? And I just, I can't pass up this passage because I think it's actually, it's a part of sometimes our spiritual journeys that can be really critical to growing our faith. And it's what Gideon does in the laying out of a fleece. And sometimes in Christian circles, we'll even use that term, laying out a fleece. Here's the verses that we, that we gather or we get that phrase from. Check it out in verse 36. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you've promised, look, I'm gonna place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there's dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, and that is what uh, as you have said, and that's what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew. A bowlful of water came out of that fleece. Then Gideon said to God, "Okay, don't be angry at me, <laughs> but let me just make one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew." That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry, and the ground was covered with dew. And so Gideon basically has this amazing kind of moment with the Lord where he says, all right, if this is really of you, make it really clear so that I know as I'm taking a step of obedience uh, that you are with me, and you are guiding me in this. And I think God's honestly okay with us doing this. Specifically, when it's surrounded by, or if it's in the context of your pursuing God toward obedience. Like, God, I need you to speak clearly so that I can walk in obedience to you. Let me just give you an example of how it played out in my life a handful of years ago. It was probably 15 years ago. I was at a ministry, and I I, I was wondering, was it time for me to go and start looking for my next ministry assignment? I'd been there about 10 years, and so I was praying about it, and, and Basically, I said, All right, God, I'm gonna lay out a fleece. And here's what my question was God, do I have permission to start looking for my next ministry assignment? That's it. Yes or no? Do I have permission? And basically, I said, Okay, God, here's what I'm looking for. Here's my fleece. I'm gonna look for something that's bright pink, like a semi truck or a semi trailer or a building. If a whole building or any of those things are entirely pink, That'll be your yes answer. It's okay for me to start looking for a job. If I see the same thing, but in like puke green, like gross, puke green, that'll be no, not time to start looking. So a semi, semi semi-trailer, a building or whatever, all puke green. So all month goes by and I'm driving around, I'm keeping my eyes open, I'm praying, I'm saying, God, speak clearly. And every once in a while I would see something that's like big and kind of green, you know, it's like green color, but I kept looking, I'd go, God, that's the wrong hue. It's the wrong tone, like, I had a different, a little different, a little darker, pukish. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of scale in puke, right? And so there's, I was like, ah, it's not quite the right color puke green. Close, God, but not, that's not it. And so about a month goes by, and I'm praying, and by the way, I was kind of rooting for a pink. Yes, that's what I was rooting for. So I'm, I'm just going, God, Speak loudly, say yes. You know, that type of thing. Uh, And and so I'm just keeping my eyes open. And about a month goes by, and Lisa and I are coming to a, a day when we were gonna be driving like four hours south to visit her grandmother. And I knew on my way down there, we were going to pass a building. It was actually a restaurant that was called The Pink House. And the whole thing was pink. And so on that day, I was like, today, I get my yes answer. Today's my day of yes. It's gonna be so great. God, you've had a whole month but you've gotten the color hues off. And so I don't think it's been a clear no. So today's going to be my yes day. So we're driving on down there. I'm excited. I'm going to get my yes from the Lord. And as we approach kind of a turn where I know the building and the restaurant's right around the corner, we're coming on up to it. As soon as I see it, my jaw just, my jaw drops. I start laughing. So as we come up to the pink house, the restaurant, the whole thing is painted puke green. The, the right hue, even, in my mind. And it's still called the pink house. I mean, I couldn't believe it. It was unbelievable. I was like, yes, sir. Got you. Now, if you're willing to say God would lay out a fleece, and he clearly answers, here's the thing, you better obey. And I did. I said, all right, God, that's off the table. And I stayed for another year and a half, maybe two years, before the Lord finally said yes. But... My faith grew a lot that day. And sometimes these moments where you lay out a fleece, it can be something where the Lord actually grows your faith and in profound ways, especially if you take that next step and you obey. All right, I gotta keep moving. But God speaks clearly. Chapter seven. 32,000 men show up to fight with Gideon. And God says, all right, you got way too many men. If you go into battle and you win, you're gonna think, look at us. We were the underdogs and we won and look how awesome we are. So the Lord says, okay, I gotta thin out the herd. And so in verse three of chapter seven, he says, listen, here's what I want you to do, Gideon. Any guy who's fearful right now, tell him to go home. 22,000 guys leave. 10,000 are left. Now, you got to know that they're facing the Midianite army that's 135,000 strong. So they're 10,000 against 135,000. And God says once again to Gideon, he goes, you still got too many guys. If you win, you're going to think, now we're really amazing. He goes, we got to thin out the herd. And so this is what God gives Gideon a really strange command in Judges chapter 7, verse 4. The Lord said to Gideon, there's still way too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, here's how I'm going to separate them. Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. This is how we're going to separate who goes with you. 300 men lap like dogs, and God goes, those are the guys I want you to take into battle. Let everyone else go home. How do you like that? The 300 that you're going to take into battle are the ones that God just likened to a bunch of dogs. It's a big confidence booster, right? And it actually leads Gideon to actually have to face kind of his next hurdle. We see it in the next uh, set of verses. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. And now here's the hurdle he has to face into. If you are afraid, if you're afraid, Gideon might have his own fears he has to deal with. And if you're afraid to attack, go on down to the camp with your servant Purah and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and his servant went down to the outposts of the camp. Now the fact that he goes down to the outpost of the camp tells me this. He was afraid. He says, if you're afraid, go down and listen in. And they go down, meaning, yeah, I'm afraid. And who wouldn't be? 300 guys against 135,000, we are highly outnumbered. And quite frankly, it is the third thing that I think all of us are gonna have to face at some point, it's this hurdle, it's obedience to God over our own fear. And for him, he's legitimately afraid. And so he goes down, listens in on the edge of the camp. And here's what he hears. He hears these two guys talking. And one guy's saying, I just had a dream. And he describes the dream. And the other guy goes, I know exactly what that dream means. It means Gideon's going to come and he's going to destroy us. And Gideon is encouraged by hearing these two guys talk about this. And so he goes, all right, I'm ready to go and lead my guys into battle. And he's going to lead them into battle in a very strange way. Here's what he's going to tell his 300 guys to do. I want everyone to go grab a clay jar, go get a torch, and grab your trumpets. Fun way to go into battle, right? And he basically leads them down around the camp. They surround the camp. He says, all right, guys, at my signal, I want you to throw the clay clay jars on the ground. I want you to light your torches. I want you to blow your trumpets. And then check out what happened. This is Judges 7, 22. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The, the chaos that surrounds them and the noise and the, and, the, and the torches and the breaking of jars and all that, it causes them to go such into like a, a, a frenzy that they start killing each other and running for their lives. And they literally are slaying each other on their way out. And Literally, it leads us to that fourth hurdle, which for Gideon, it's this. It's, am I going to obey God over my impossible situation? For his impossible situation, it's it's now it's the rubber is hitting the road. 300 against 135,000. Am I going to do it? Am I going to do it? And for him, he goes, okay, I'm going to obey in spite of how crazy this seems and how crazy the plan is. I'm going to do it. But here's what we see out of Gideon is that we see this kind of like one piece of obedience kind of snowballs to the next piece of obedience, grows his faith, snowballs to the next piece of obedience, snowballs to the next piece of obedience, grows his faith, snowballs to that final piece of obedience, which is 300 against 135,000. Are you gonna do it? And he says, yes. And I found that to be true in my life as well. I picture it like that snowball that's sitting at the top of the mountain. That a lot of times we just have to stare at. What's that first hurdle that the Lord is calling us to stare into and face, and say, "All right, I'm going to God. I'm going to I'm going to obey in spite of this thing." And as soon as I go over it, my faith grows. It's like I pick up that hurdle, and my faith grows that much bigger. And as I start rolling down the hill, and I face the next hurdle, when I'm obedient there, it grows even larger, and I just gain more momentum, more faith, more courage. As I go. And so here's my question for all of us here. Because I think for every one of us. There's a practical step we can take. And it's this simple. Answer the simple question. What is one simple step. Of obedience you could take this week. What's one hurdle that you feel like is difficult for you to overcome, but you know the Lord's calling you to do it. It might be pray with your spouse or pray with your family members or pray for some person or it might be to forgive someone or maybe it's like I'm dealing with an addiction and I just need to tell someone that I'm really struggling with this or I need to build some practical guardrails in my life. Well, like What's my strategy to overcome temptation when it comes my way? I'm going to tell someone about that. But what is that first thing that's like, this is, it feels really big. It's my first hurdle, but if I overcome it, if I step into it in obedience, the Lord will actually grow your faith in it and it'll be like the snowball that starts rolling down the hill. Let's stand here and I'll close this in prayer. And I want to just give the Lord just a moment to speak to each and every one of us. So would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we just come before you right now. And I imagine there's every one of us is at different stages, perhaps, in our faith journey. Maybe for some of us, we're at the very top of the hill, (laughs) and we haven't taken even a first step in obedience. Would you just reveal to us what's the hurdle that I just need to say, all right, I'm going to step out, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to trust you to show up and to be faithful, to help me overcome it. Maybe some of us are maybe facing our fifth hurdle, our sixth hurdle, and our faith is actually quite large, but the hurdles actually seem bigger. But our faith is pretty big. To just remind our hearts right now, you've been faithful with the other hurdles that you helped us overcome, and our faith grew. You're gonna be faithful with this next one. Lord, speak to us, and more importantly, help us now to walk in obedience to you. We need your help in it. But I know that there will be momentum in our faith as we step into it. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. If there's any way we can pray with you, we'll have prayer partners down here along the front. Uh, If you wanna give, there's ways to give in the back boxes as well as online. Be blessed. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you'd like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to the mission by visiting Lakeland.church forward slash give.